So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you're watching from home, I want to make a couple of things just as we're getting started this morning. Uh, Jeff Coffin passed me a note, and uh, if you're watching online and you're sitting and saying, hey, I missed the, the Facebook or the photos from, uh, from the Bahamas, they're on Facebook. There's over 60 photos, Jeff tells me, on Facebook uh, from our trip to the Bahamas, so be sure to check those out. Um, like them all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, but, but that, if that serves you, you can go and, and look at those photos. And just, just a couple of things before we get into the message and, um, and all of that. Again, I want to just reiterate that what we're doing this morning, the one service at 9 a.m. with all the kiddos uh, in here, um, uh, was, the, was the best decision we felt like we could make for today, and it's for today. Um, the news around this is, is changing by the moment, and, and no matter where you land on the the, the level that of which you're taking this, um, uh, we, we do feel like we have a responsibility to care um, and to be concerned uh, for each other and to look responsibly at this. And so we'll, we'll be doing that continually. Um, and so just keep checking Facebook and we're going to keep um, trying to keep you posted as, as best we can uh, to do that. I, I did have somebody mention to me um, uh, and, and this comes from, from another place, okay? Don't, don't feel like, oh, the pastor just met so that we could talk about giving. No, that's not the... But I did hear that it would be better uh, to give online. And so if you could give online so that there's not money and checks and all that stuff, passing hands and people counting and all of that stuff. And so if you want to... I don't... Again, that's just something I was asked to share. So give online and give more um, than you would normally if you were given... <laughs> Yeah, just think you could give more um, if you if you did that. But just just a couple of things there um, that I felt like were important for us to share this morning. And and let me let me just let me just share this. Can I, can I share my heart for a moment? Because I know we've got people watching. I know there's 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 um, seventy to eighty of you here, and that's not pastor numbers online, folks. That's real numbers. I counted. Um, I can't tell you the number of phone calls, text messages, emails, all of that that I've considered over the last three or four days. I've dialed Ian's number more than I'm willing to share. Okay? Because we've been wrestling back and forth as to what is the best decision. And, and as I was sitting and thinking last night, wrestling with, did we make the right decision? I kind of had the thought, there was no right decision. We had to make a decision, and you had to decide whether it was a good idea for, to show up or not, right? Nobody's making you come to church, although there may be some kids in here that that applies to, okay? But, um, but, but thank you for trusting us. Thank you for believing in us. And, and, and please, please just know that we're not making any decisions right now lightly. We're thinking about everyone that we possibly can um, through this process, okay? Is that, is, that, is that fair? All right. All right, I'm done. Let's move on. All right, so we're, we're starting a series today through our vision statement. And some of you may have never seen our vision statement, so here it is. It's going to pop up on the screen. Summit Church will glorify God and advance His kingdom by making disciples 
of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, we, as we were thinking about this about a month or two ago and thinking about where we were going to go leading up to, to Easter Sunday um, and thinking about why we exist, why are we doing the things that we're doing right now, why are we making the decisions building-wise that we're making right now, why, why, are we, why are we making the moves that we're making right now. And really, really, it's not driven um, you know, by numbers as much as it is driven by the vision that we feel like God has given us as the church as his church. And so we felt like, man, we ought to talk about that. And so there's five things within this vision statement that we wanted to point out over the next five weeks. And the first is this. Now, this is cutting edge, church. This is cutting edge. So if you have your pen out, um, take notes, all of that stuff. The first one that we want to talk about is the second word in that vision statement. Summit church. We want to stop right there because one of the biggest things that we want to talk about today is that we are a church. Do you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, we're a church. Now, now I know some of you are more distanced than you normally are, so you may have to say that a little bit louder, but we're a church. Summit Church will glorify God and advance His kingdom by making disciples of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I was talking in base camp a couple months ago, and, and we're going to be offering another base camp soon, Lord willing. Um, and, and, and the first night of base camp, I was really convicted because I changed the whole schedule of base camp leading up to it, because I felt like if we were to go around the room and answer this question, what is a church? If there's 80 people in this room, we'd probably have about 80 different responses. And so it's important for us to know what is the church intended to be? What is a church intended to be? And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 16 this morning and talk about that. But before we do, as I did in base camp, I want to start with four things that the church is not. We're going to fly through these. Um, I I go much more in depth in base camp. And again, Lord willing, if you want to hear that, you can uh, come to the next one. But I want to start with what the church is not. Four things, just really quickly. We're going to run through these. The first one is this. The church is not a building. Right? We're seeing that this morning. We've got just as many people gathered uh, virtually as we do here physically. Um, Hopefully, hopefully they didn't turn it off after the music. That would be a little offensive. But the church is not a building. But did you know that if you were to look at dictionary.com, it's the first definition there that that if you were to Google or dictionary.com, a church, the definition is a building for public, especially Christian worship. But the, but the church is not a building. Some churches meet in buildings, and many times uh, that is a home or multi-purpose building. Uh, some, some people gather around the world under a tree or in a field or in a cave. But, but, but the first thing that we just have to own this morning is that the church is not a building. Number two, the church is not a denomination. Now, I feel, like, I feel like that would have been a good place to say amen right there, somebody. Come on now. The church is not a denomination. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background, okay? Because some of you probably know this. Some of you may not know this. I was born and raised in a Methodist church. Uh, I got saved in the Church of God church. 
Uh, I was called to ministry while I was attending an Assemblies of God church. My mentor was a part of a Southern Baptist church, and so I started going to that from the Assemblies of God church. You want to talk about opposite ends of the spectrum, okay? Uh, I've kind of been a part of it all. My parents were part of a Presbyterian church before I was even born, and so there, there's kind of, I'm confused is what I am, okay? Um, and, 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 and yet, uh, uh, growing, growing up, I just never thought any of those things were, um, were, 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 were uh, some, something to be held in the closed hand. I was talking to one, a mentor of mine uh, about, about a year and a half ago as we were merging about denominations and different things like that. And he said, you know, every denomination is birthed out of a church split. A church argument. Because people argue... And they have a different set of beliefs, and so they go start a denomination, and the group of church gathers around that. The church is not any one denomination. The church consists of all people who are connected to the living Jesus by the Holy Spirit and have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus alone. There are Christians, there are Jesus followers, there are Jesus people in every denomination. Number three, so the church is not a building, the church is not any one denomination. Number three, the church, get this, is not a vending machine. The church is not a vending machine where God hands out grace to those who just show up to a mass gathering um, and partake of communion or sacraments or different things like that. The church is not a vending machine where you can just come and, and, and you know, receive, Right? That's not, the, that's not the point of church. Number four, and this is a big one. In fact, this strikes a chord within me anytime I talk about this, and so we'll try to, we'll try to just hit it and run. Number four, the church is not a business. The church is not a business. Now, recognize, I understand this, okay? While the church must do business, must be organized, must handle money, although easier online right now, its mission is quite different from a business. See, a business exists to deliver goods and services in order to turn a profit. It's driven by the bottom line. And see, the church must account for its resources by stewarding them even better than a business does. The church does not exist for profit, but for God's glory. We're going to talk about that next week, that the church exists to glorify God. We don't exist for a profit. We exist for God's glory, which includes good stewardship of its resources. So the church isn't a building. The church is not a denomination. The church isn't a vending machine. And the church is not a business. Right? Thumbs up? Ready to go on? So let's talk about where the church is. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 13 and go through verse 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In this, I believe Jesus says five things about his church that I want us to, that I want us to explore this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds the church. It's his church. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And, and they go on, and, and Jesus finally says, but who do you say that I am? I don't, I don't care what other people say that I am. Who, what matters to me is who do you say that I am? And if Jesus were here this morning, and he asked us the same question, what would your response be? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven, and I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I've mentioned before, there's so many books and there's so many uh, podcasts and webinars out there and seminars and conferences that try to help us learn how to build the church or to grow the church. But my fear for us today as his church is that we've terribly forgotten who it is indeed that builds the church. It's Jesus. If we're building the church, church, if we, if we are building the church, it isn't the church. If it's us, and if, if, it ever, if it ever becomes about us, and if, if it ever becomes us, then guess what? It isn't the church. If we build the church on my personality or my teaching or some methodology that isn't of Jesus, then it isn't the church. Jesus and Jesus only builds the church. I will build my church. What a promise, right? What a promise. So, so you, you know what that is? That's freeing. That's freeing, right? I mean, we don't, have to, we don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. God is going to build His church. Amen. Number two, not only does Jesus build the church, number two, Jesus owns the church. Hmm. That's interesting, right? Jesus owns the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 talks about how Jesus bought it with his own blood. It says, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus bought the church with his own blood. He didn't promise to build our church. It belongs to Jesus. He's building his church. He's building his church. He bought it with his own blood. Number three. Number three. Now, I know when you first hear this, this is going to cause some conversation, okay? But, but just, just pause until you hear the whole thing. Number three, the church is meant to be growing. The church is meant to be growing. But let's talk about what that growth looks like. Have you ever passed by a construction project and found that they're, that they're constructing to make the project smaller. No. Right? It's always 
adding on or renovating to create more space or more effective usage of space, right? But nobody is, nobody's doing a construction project to take space away. When something is built, it grows bigger or more efficient, not smaller. So listen to me, church. The, the church is meant to grow, right? People coming into the kingdom of God, right? The church is meant to grow. The big C church is meant to grow. The kingdom is meant to be expanded. I, I was driving a different way than my normal Sunday route this morning, and I was thinking about a, an area uh, in our region, right, that's being built, that's being developed, and I'm thinking, man, there is not a church around here. How sad is that? Thousands and thousands of people are about to come into this location, and it's just down the road from us, and there's not a church here, right? The church is meant to be growing, and we ought to think as His church strategically about where we can place bodies of people, right, gatherings of people, Right? To see people come to know Jesus because that's the point. And that doesn't mean, listen to me, church, that doesn't mean unlimited numerical growth. Our whole word for 2019 as Summit Church was deeper, right? I believe that in, in the same way that God calls us, right, to, to go and make disciples, to go and bring people into the kingdom, right, um, point people to Jesus in the same way He calls us to a deeper growth, deeper relationship, deeper walk with Him. A relationship with Jesus is growth. I've used this illustration before, right? What would happen if, if I went home uh, to Kristen today and, and say, listen, honey, we're about to celebrate 14 years of marriage. I think we're close enough. Right? We don't need to learn anything else about each other. We don't need to grow anymore together. 13 years and, and, and counting, almost 14 years, that's plenty. That's plenty. We're done with, with that. Let's just enjoy the experiences that we've had and reflect back and look back. But let's not, let's not try to go deeper. How do you think she would respond to that? I mean, she's watching online right now, so she's probably got some feelings that she may or may not text me as I'm preaching. But um, that response probably wouldn't go so well, right? And yet, how often... Do we press pause on Jesus? How often do we press pause on our spiritual growth? How often do we look at the church and say, okay, you know what? I, I just need to press pause. Now, there are obviously seasons of healing, right? And God leads us into those. But I would even say in seasons of healing, it's a season of growth. It's a season of depth. It's a season of pause. When I went on sabbatical, I didn't press pause on my spiritual growth. In fact, my spiritual growth deepened and was sweeter than it had been in such a long time because the main point was the main point. Right? You see that? <laughs> The church is meant to be growing, but that doesn't necessarily mean numerical growth. It means deeper, right? So the, Jesus builds His church. Jesus owns the church. The church is meant to be growing. Number four, the church that is growing, listen to me, church, will face, don't you love this? Opposition. 
The church that is growing will face opposition. Jesus said that we would face resistance as the church starts to grow. Look there. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One sign of a healthy church is that she faces hostility from the evil one. Right? No opposition. If there's no opposition, guess what? Maybe we're walking in the wrong direction. Right? But if we're not seeing opposition, if we're not raising questions, if we're not seeing right, those things, maybe we're walking in the wrong direction. Robert Logan and, and Tom Clegg, they're authors, they, they, um, they wrote a book called Releasing Your Church's Potential, and they said this, I believe that the enemy divide, divides all people into two categories. Those he can ignore and those he has to fight. I believe that the enemy divides all people into two categories. Those he can ignore and those he has to fight. They go on to say, I want to be one of those that he has to fight. He went on to quote a World War II bomber pilot, if you're taking flack, you're over the target. There was a contractor who built homes in a small town somewhere in Europe. He built most of the homes for people who lived in the village, and he was a gifted carpenter. Unfortunately, he was never able to afford a home of his own. And so one day, the wealthiest man in town came to the contractor and asked him to build a house. He said, I want you to build the finest house that you're capable of, and I want you to spare no expense. I'm going to go on a journey, and when I return, I hope that the house will be completed. The contractor agreed to the job and was about to begin when a thought struck him. This wealthy man already has a few houses. I don't have my own. I'm going to use inferior material. I'm going to cut a few corners, and I'm going to do a quick job on this house. I'm going to make it look real nice from the outside. I'm going to charge him the full amount. That way I can pocket the leftover money and finally afford to build my own house. And that's what he did. When the rich man returned... He went to view the house and was impressed. It looked beautiful from a distance. The wealthy man turned to the contractor and said, The house looks wonderful. I'm so glad you spared no expense, for I intend to give this home to a dear friend who deserves a house like this one. And with that, he handed the keys over to the contractor and said, Here's your new home, my friend. The contractor graciously received the keys to his new home, but his heart sank as he realized what he had done. What kind of effort and quality of workmanship and materials would the man have put into the home if he had known it would be the place where he and his family would be living? I'm reminded of Colossians 3.17 and whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Giving thanks to God the Father by Him. The church that is growing will face opposition. The church that is growing will face opposition. But Jesus has already claimed the victory. The gates of hell shall not prevail, which leads us to number five. Even though we will face opposition, the church that Jesus builds is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. 
The bride of Christ is unstoppable. See, the enemy we face is powerful. It's been around from the beginning, succeeded in defeating perfect man. He's been perfecting his craft ever since. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities and has an entire army at his disposal. But Jesus didn't describe the church in this light as a place to seek refuge or a place to hide. The church is to be launching and leading in the attack. The gates of hell will not prevail. There, have you ever seen a gate? Anybody have a gate at home? We've got some baby gates around. Anybody got, anybody got a gate at home? What's a gate used for? Tripping over. Okay, there's a mom. Okay. What's a gate used for? Protection. To keep out, right? To keep out, okay? We, we have some gates up in some areas, right? We want to be able to try to control, right, where, where, where our kids go and where they don't go, right? We don't want them to go down a flight of step, stairs yet necessarily, especially Vera um, and Ezra at full speed. That's dangerous. Um, and so we've got, some, we've, got some, we've got some gates, but I want you to know something. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A gate is not an offensive weapon. You see that? A gate is not an offensive weapon unless you trip over it in the middle of the night. I mean, I, I get that. I guess, you could be, I guess it could be seen as that. But a gate is not an offensive weapon, right? People don't hold victims at gate point. That's not a thing, right? Um, dogs don't run around with signs around their necks that says, says, say, beware of gate. Okay? Gates are not a threat. They're defensive. But I believe the church for too long has been held hostage by the gate. Intimidated by the gate. I went to Caesarea Philippi one time, Kristen and I, uh, about 13 years ago. And... um, it's beautiful. It was one of the highlights of the trip for us in Israel. And, and as you're walking up, you can see the, the place where Jesus would have said this because there's this place that they've called Hades. Okay, there's this place that they've, they've called hell and, and it's basically you look down and you just can't see the bottom. You can't see the bottom. And, 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 and I don't know if the gate would have been there when, when Jesus was, was saying this, but there was a gate across there because they don't want tourists like me who are very, um, 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 I like to press all the buttons and go all the places that I'm not supposed to go. Um, they they want to keep people safe, right? And so there's, there's a gate that prevents people from going too far and looking. But our tour guide looked and said, this is where Jesus would have said, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is time for us to not be intimidated by the gate, but to storm the gates with the life-changing Gospel of Jesus. See, I think for far too long, we've been trying to protect people We've been trying to soften the edges of Christianity. We've been trying to become more relevant. We've been trying to make it more palatable. We've been trying to make it more comfortable. But yet Jesus gave His life for the church.
He owns it. And in our efforts to build it, we've only made something that isn't the church at all. And so what do we do with a message like this? A couple things. Number one, I think we need to make sure that we give Jesus back His church. One of my favorite questions to wrestle with from time to time is this, that if Jesus was truly the senior pastor of Summit Church, would anything change? What does it look like if Jesus is truly the senior pastor of Summit Church? Does anything need to change? And that's a barometer that we use often as we sit and make decisions, as we sit and look around at different things, because we want to make sure that Jesus has ownership in His church. The second thing I think we can do is to quit trying to do His job. He's going to build His church. He owns it. He's going to call people to repentance. He's going to do all of those things, right? Number three, I think we can rejoice that Jesus is still at work trying to reach the lost through fallen people like us. That's another thing I say often is that it is amazing to me what God has done and what He's doing right now in spite of us. It's His. It's His. It's His. And when we think about these next weeks as we're going to continue on again, Lord willing, and, and we don't know what that's going to look like. Okay, we, we don't know, right? We don't know, but, but, but as we continue on and keep preaching through this, the church has a divine mission, right? I, I love that the, uh, Matthew 18, or excuse me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That is the mission of the church. The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And it can't be destroyed and it can't be delayed. God wants His church on mission for His glory and to build His kingdom. Because He wants to do it through us. And so my, my question for us this morning, and I want to I read one more passage of Scripture just as I close, but my question for us this morning is what is your role in His church? What's your role in His church? Because I think there's some things that, that we have to wrestle with as we think about that, right? Now, I, I, love, I love the whole theme of if yesterday was, or you know, whenever, whenever they did it, but we, we, we saw it yesterday, keys to the kingdom, right? And the whole, the whole big thing at the end was what risk are you called to take for God and you're going to take this key and, and God's given you the keys to the kingdom and, and, and what, what big thing has He called you to? And, and, and the same, I think, goes for us. We are called to be the church, not just go to church. What more beautiful time to talk about this message right here and to be starting this series right here than this. In what ways can we be the church more today than we could be last week? Two weeks ago. A month ago. There are tangible ways right now that I believe we can step up and be the church with our neighbors. With our friends, in our workplaces, in our families. In the next couple of days, as Ian and I were talking last night, we want to explore that. How can we be the church right now? People are worried about lunches for these kids that aren't going to go to school. 
Make extra sandwiches. Walk around your neighborhood. Pull people together in your garage. As before we came out here to have this service, I just sat with the worship team and I said, hey, let's talk. How you doing with this? How you doing with this? We have more of an opportunity to be the church than we have in a long time. Are we going to seize it? Ephesians chapter 5 says this, and I'm going to read it out of the message and the worship team can come. I'm reading out of the message, which is a paraphrase. But Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, don't waste your time on useless work. Mere busy work. The barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. He goes on, don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge droughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. I love how Paul says, there's a mission. There's a mission. There's a mission. There's a mission. And in the church world, we, we talk about a church without walls. And I think my challenge for us this morning as we launch into this series about our church and what we believe God's called us to over the last couple of years for the next hundred years. Is that Summit Church is a church that belongs to Jesus. That we're trusting in Him to build. That will face opposition, but has already been promised the victory and can go forward and press forward unstoppable. So stop coming to church. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. And you know where it starts? You know where it starts? The person next to you. The person across the aisle. The people sitting at home right now. I've said before when I've preached on community that I believe if the enemy can divide us, he wins. What does it look like for all of us to give Jesus back His church? That motive, that heartbeat. God, I'm willing, we mentioned it last week, I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, as long as you're in it, and as long as it's for your glory. 
That's the church. That's the church. So where are you this morning? In His church. Father, thank You for the call to be Your church. God, thank You that that You've called us to unity. Thank You that You've called us to great things as we've already sung about this morning. Thank You that that God, this is Your place. And that God, if we'll we'll let You, You'll lead. You'll build. You'll grow. and, and, And You'll deepen. And You'll scatter. And You'll do a bunch of things that make us uncomfortable, but You'll do it for Your glory and not our comfort. And God, I, I praise You that You've brought us here and that if anything, we as Summit have seen the fruit of what it means to be Your body. Of what it means to be Your house. And God, I pray that that only continue and that only deepen and that only grow as we go. As we go. And God, in these next days, In these next days, I pray that You show us and reveal ways to us that we can be the church like never before. That we can be the church like never before. God, if there's repentance that needs to happen, that it would happen. God, if there's there's forgiveness that needs to happen, that it would happen. God, that we would recognize how small we are. And some of the things that we deal with and and do on a daily basis are because God, there are bigger things at stake. And so God, I pray that You reveal Yourself to us in this. God, that this wouldn't just happen and, and, and go away, but God, we would pause and say, God, where are you in this? How can I be your hands and feet more today than I could last week? May we seize the opportunity to be your church. And not just in this season, but beyond. May we seize the opportunity to be your church.